Hello and welcome to the Black Eye Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle. How are you doing today? I hope things are going well for you. Thoughts and prayers are with you. Let's dive right in. Uh, today is some interestingly good news, I guess, depending on what side of the aisle that you are on and how you feel about certain people. Um, today, uh, the Biden administration has dropped or backed away from, uh, or backs down on tracking bank accounts with over $600 in annual transactions. Uh, as I understand it, they have raised that amount of uh, tracking to $10,000 annually. And uh, a lot of people will be exempt from the spying, uh, which is in the 300000 excuse me, $3.5 trillion uh, bill that has absolutely nothing to do with infrastructure. Uh, And also some really good news for Ron DeSantis. Uh, COVID-19 is plummeting in Florida. Yay! And you know who's hardest hit by that? His critics. They're pissed off. Totally pissed off. They've been wanting him for a long time. They've been, you know, they they want something on him, anything on him. They want to practically call him a mass murderer. But not today, Satan, not today. And, um, well, we have something called in other news, which uh, really is about What's happening with the $3.5 trillion bill and what is going to be cut? Because it looks like there are going to be other tenets of the bill that will be snipped, snipped. So, let's get started with uh, Biden backs down from tracking people who made $600 uh, annually, which was a very uh, absurd amount of money um, to catch so-called millionaires. And I still think $10,000 is, is, is far too low. You know, $10,000 annually is too low. I mean, if you want to track millionaires, millionaires, really, you know, it, it doesn't even compute. It doesn't even make sense. But I'm glad that the media got behind it and uh, at least, you know, some sensible people and just, you know, challenged them on on this, challenged the administration on this, excuse me, and got the um, administration to back down. So this report comes from, where does this come from? Well, ABC News. Okay. Uh, the Biden administration on Tuesday backed down on a controversial proposal to direct the IRS to collect additional data on every bank account that sees more than $600 in annual transactions. After widespread criticism from Republican lawmakers and banking industry representatives who said the tax enforcement strategy represented a breach of privacy by the federal government. Thank God. <laughs> Instead of the instead, the administration and Senate Democrats are proposing to raise the threshold uh, to a, accounts with more than ten thousand dollars in annual transaction and any income received through a paycheck from which federal taxes are automatically deducted will not be subject to the reporting. Recipients of federal benefits like unemployment and Social Security would also be exempt. The IRS would collect the total sum of deposits and withdrawals from the bank accounts with more than $10,000 in non-payroll income. Information on individual transactions would not be collected. I don't know how that's possible, though. The changes were announced Tuesday by the Treasury Department. Quote, in response uh, to the considerations about scope in it, it, in Congress, has crafted a new approach to include an exemption for wage and salary earners and federal program beneficiaries. Under this revised approach, such earners can be completely carved out of the reporting structure. This is a well-reasoned modification. Uh, 
For American workers and retirees, the IRS already has information on wage and salary income and the federal benefits they receive, a a Treasury Department fact sheet on the changes said. The changes would exempt millions of Americans from reporting requirement and help the IRS target wealthier Americans, especially those who earn money from investment, real estate, and other transactions that are more difficult for the IRS to track. So, I don't think uh, if you're a millionaire, uh, $10,000 is still a very low threshold. I mean... If you get $10,000 in the bank, it's already taxable income, you know, from whatever. You know, the the bank has to report $10,000 in income. But what they're saying is, you know, and they're beating the same old drum. Under the current system, American workers pay virtually all their tax bills while many top earners avoid paying billions in taxes they owe by exploiting the system. Um, Which is fundamentally not true okay but i'm not going to get too far into that um at the core of the problem is it's discrepancy in the ways types of income are reported to the irs opaque income sources frequently avoid scrutiny while wages and federal benefits are typically subject to nearly full compliance this two-tier tax system is unfair and deprives country of resources to fund core priorities i still don't think uh this is going to help them fund 3.5 trillion dollars okay I'm not a mathematician, but I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. Today's new proposal reflects the administration's strong belief that we should zero in on those at the top income scale who don't pay the taxes they owe. And while protecting American workers by setting the bank account threshold at $10,000, providing an exemption for wage earners like teachers and firefighters, Yellen said. Well, I mean... With all due respect to these people, and, you know, I don't have that much respect for them. Shouldn't you have thought about that in the first place? Why Why did it take you to, you know, uh, all this criticism and all this uproar and all this outrage for you to even pay attention to this? Who wrote this bill the way it was and, you know failed to exempt the people who actually worked for a living, especially if you were after millionaires. And I don't know what kind of tax mining you think you're going to do because people who are millionaires have armies of lawyers who who can who can get away with this. I mean, it's legal. They're not doing anything illegal. So, you know, I'm pretty certain that a millionaire is not going to be skirting around with a $10,000 extra income. I mean, the whole premise of the bill just sounds absurd to me. Maybe I'm dumb. I don't know. I, I You know, I, maybe I don't get it. I don't get it. But it just sounds dumb. It, it doesn't sound like it doesn't make any sense. It just sounds ridiculous. Um, the proposal is a long way from being enacted. It currently, it's currently included in the multi-trillion-dollar sp- social spending package. Lawmakers and the White House have been negotiating for months. If that package is passed and signed into law, the requirement wouldn't begin until December 2022. So we got a ways to go. It probably won't even um, make it in the bill if Manchin has his way about it, because he is cutting and chopping. And cutting and chopping all by himself. Um, So, moving on to the next story here. Um, Well, yeah, let's talk about Joe Manchin here. Because I thought there was something else that was cut out of... Well, let's talk about Ron DeSantis. Let's move on to them. I am happy, 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 happy. Not just for Ron DeSantis, but that people are just the, the, the are recovering from COVID, are getting well. You know, or, you know, the deaths have fallen. I'm happy that in Florida, um, 
COVID-19 is plummeting and DeSantis' critics are the hardest hit. Yay! As well, they should be. Late this summer, and this is from the Washington Examiner, COVID-19 finally took off in Florida and began ravaging its elderly population, courtesy of the Delta variant. Some people were very pleased about it. Critics of Republican Governor Ron DeSantis were positively gleeful. They had been waiting a very long time for that data that would finally back up their case against him for that for avoiding severe restrictions for the first 18 months of the coronavirus pandemic. DeSantis was some kind of mass murderer. They were curiously quiet now, they are, that the Sunshine State's rate of hospitalizations has plummeted 75% from its mid-August high, and its seven-day average death toll is down more than 50% from its mid-September high. But the bigger problem for the argument is that DeSantis began reopening his state in June 2020 and finally lifted COVID-19 restrictions as of September 2020. He left the beaches and most businesses open the entire time. He never mandated masks. So if that course of action were the cause of what's happening now, then why did the effect wait so long? The timeline makes no sense. The much more likely and unfortunately frightening explanation is, as in 2020, Florida has experienced the worst during the summer when Floridians take refuge indoors. Under that theory, northern states' Delta infections already on the rise are destined to hit just as hard as winter sets in. When COVID-19 struck in spring of 2020, DeSantis was hotly criticized for failing to close down the state's beaches. You know, those big open outdoor spaces where Floridians can easily distance themselves from others and breathe fresh air without fear of contracting the virus. Yeah. He didn't close. He didn't subject it to the fear. This is me talking now. This is not that from the article. But this is, you know, he didn't do that. He stood his ground. He didn't uh, bow to the vaccine mandates. He didn't bow to the mask, mask mandates. You know, he's putting in, he's allowing parents to make the decision. He's, he's not giving in to the fear. And because of that, COVID-19 in his state has plummeted. Now, when you go around in Florida, there are people who wear masks. It's not like entirely masks, but it's, it's your choice. You know, you get to decide how you feel about it, what you want to do. Most people don't wear masks, but there are people who do. Nobody bothers them or criticizes them or, you know, whatever. You have a kind of a mixed mash of things going on there. But it's people's choice. And cooping up people and, and, and locking them down, and locked down in place, you know, that didn't do well for people's health. We see that now. You know, people are under stress. Uh, you know, being locked down, you have more people who are uh, substance abusers. You got more uh, breakups. You got more sadness. You got more depression. You got more mental illness. These, This is not good. These mandates prove time and time again that it's not healthy for people. And when people are under stress, they tend to get sicker. I think, you know, personally, in, in my own experience, you get, you're more likely to, to, you know, have a weakened immune system because you're not healthy overall. You need to go outside. Moving on. At the time, none of the doomsday, doomsayers' predictions of an unusual surge in COVID-19 cases or deaths resulted from his, this decision. In fact, Florida's experience with COVID-19 remained unremarkable among the states right into 2021. It really did. It seemed quite fortunate, in fact, that a state with such large elderly populations should be spared in comparison to other states. Florida's spike in cases came in much later with the Delta variant. 
Hospitalizations peaked in mid-August at 12 for every 100,000. Deaths peaked in late September at more than 400. <laughs> the way the news was uh, telling it, thousands were dying, thousands and thousands. And of course, we don't want to see anybody die. This this is not what I'm talking about. But, the, you know, the way it was reported, it was thousands of people dying in the streets from COVID-19 being infected. And, you know, 12 out of every 100,000 and deaths of more than 400 is kind of small compared to, you know, we were locked down in New York and how many deaths now? 50-something thousand deaths? Anyway, you had one of the most, more deaths from COVID-19 than any other state. At least we're in the top two, I believe. Fortunately, Florida's rate of COVID-19 hospitalizations has plunged to just three for every 100,000 and is now lower than Delaware's at nine for every 100,000, Pennsylvania's six, Maryland's four, Virginia's four, among others. Florida's hospitalization rate is now roughly equal to that of California, Oregon, and Georgia. Its seven-day average death rate still high at 211 off more than 50% from its peak and appears to be trailing the hospitalization numbers downward. Despite the recent spike, Florida still has a lower cumulative COVID-19 death rate than New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, among others. It had been weathering COVID-19 so much better than these states until this summer, casting doubt upon the notion that governor's orders have much have much effect on coronavirus. DeSantis has also been vocal supporter of vaccination. His state's high vaccination rate at 78% of those eligible have received at least one dose of the vaccine and 98% of those over 65 reflects his efforts. But again, that hasn't stopped irresponsible speculation that he flirts with anti-vaccine opinions, which he does not. He does not. Like I said, it, you know, they really, really, really shape a narrative that is virtually uh, is a lot, pretty much. You know, they certainly do. They do skate with that with those narratives. Uh, this came up basically because he failed to start a public shouting match with someone who expressed a kooky anti-vaccine opinion in his presence. Why? You don't have to argue with everyone about vaccine mandates. You either have them or you don't. They're either in or they're out. You know, you don't have to have an argument with everyone who doesn't agree with you. As the Delta variant spread, DeSantis was also criticized for shifting his emphasis toward treatments rather than vaccination. Made sense. But the approach absolutely made sense. After all, with the growing number of Delta infections, there were more there were, were many more people than before who needed treatment. These people were sick and did not need a vaccination that would make them more resistant to the virus to the virus after multiple doses several weeks. Over several weeks. Vaccination is intended for people at risk of getting a disease, not for those currently suffering for it from it. Judging by the data, DeSantis has done all excuse me, has done as well as any governor in dealing with the pandemic. He also appears to be blessed with in his in, in his enemies who mostly behave like deranged conspiracy theories. Most recently, academic J. Edwin Benton told the Washington Examiner that he thinks the state's dramatically improving numbers are being faked. Oh really? Yeah. I was about to say that when I was reading this, that uh, I'm pretty certain that uh, the critics are saying that DeSantis was faking numbers, even though the so-called whistleblower turned out to be entirely fake, had no experience, didn't even deal in the department that she said she did. And uh, the mainstream media didn't vet her, didn't... Um, you know, it didn't vet her. They just let her come on their shows and, 
and praise her for telling these lies that, you know, DeSantis or his administration or his health department were um, jiggering with the COVID-19 numbers. And you notice they're quiet about that. They didn't, nobody ever came forward, at least that I have seen or heard, um, maybe you have seen or heard it, they said that they were sorry, you know, that they would do better, that they were wrong. They never come out and say that. They never come out and say that at all. So, he's not the first to to propound such idle speculation. The liberal media attempted to make a hero out of website operator. Oh, I was just talking about her, Rebecca Jones, when she claimed falsely that there was something underhanded in the way non-resident deaths were being counted. All of her allegations, her story changed many times, have been thoroughly debunked. She has since been caught in multiple additional lies, and she currently awaits trial for the felony offense of illegally assessing and stealing thousands of Florida Health Department personnel files. She acts like she's a victim of DeSantis' persecution, which has helped her scam half a million dollars from gullible people through two GoFundMe pages. Wow. And here are people losing their jobs because of a vaccine mandate, you know, uh, and I'm talking about nurses and doctors and medical staff who for the past year and a half have stood on the front lines and, and taken care of people and, you know, nursed them back to health and watch people die and go through all of this um, emotional beat up, you know, with no vacations, no time off, a lot of overtime, and they refused the vaccine And now all of that is thrown away. Hmm. Well, the first several months during the pandemic, they lionized Andrew Cuomo. Oh, my God. Did they, though? The disgraced former governor of New York, whose insane nursing home policy led directly to thousands of COVID-19 deaths. Cuomo, in the minds of the left-wing journalists, was doing a great job because he put a place in place anti-business measures as harsh as possible. Yet somehow his state fared worse than Florida, where the restrictions were like, he really did. He really did. He really kind of just killed businesses. I never understood what they were talking about um, as far as he was showing leadership. All he did really was come over television and whine every day about what President Trump didn't give him. I remember it was about the ventilators. Um, I talked about this before, but he was talking about the ventilators. You know, Trump, he, I didn't get enough ventilators. We need more ventilators. And then finally he was called out, you know, uh, for telling, you know, you you really don't need these ventilators. The hospitals aren't filling up this way. Yeah, but I might need them later, you know, is what Cuomo said. And then he whined about, you know, hospitals and he didn't have any space. So President Trump sent him a ship, which wasn't used. And instead of using the ship, and and you know the they somebody built I think the car the Army Corps of Engineers built makeshift hospitals and with beds and everything. Instead of using those, he sent people to nursing homes, infected people to nursing homes to the most vulnerable uh, population. The ship was never used, so I never understood why he, you know, he got all this accolades for this great leadership because he really didn't lead anybody into anything other than bankruptcy. We would all be better off if COVID scolds stopped trying to make a deadly virus into a political issue. I agree. I agree. Considering how they viewed Cuomo and Jones, perhaps those leveling such criticism just have no clue about what works against COVID-19 and what doesn't, or about whom to trust, or anything else for that matter. These people are dense. It may take them some time to accept that the coronavirus is now a part of life and will unavoidably continue to take lives in all 50 states as long as the U.S. continues to exist. And I am very much in agreement with this article. Because, you know, the the vaccine mandate and the mask mandates and all these mandates, you know, um, 
the trouble I have with them, and I, I don't know, do you have trouble with this as well, is that this there seems to be no end to them, you know? Now they're trying to push this booster shot. They're trying to push these boosters. They want you to get these boosters every six months or whatever um, after you have been fully vaccinated by the two doses. Then you have to come back six months and get a third dose. And they're saying, yeah, okay, after this, you're fully vaccinated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no timeline. There's no threshold. There's no, okay, when we reach this number, then XYZ will happen. It just keeps pushing more and more and more. More mandates, more vaccines, more this, more that. And We have to come, it's, it's got to be a time when things just go back to normal. You know, you can't keep blaming the unvaccinated for things not going back to normal. You're just going to have to accept that things have to just go on. You know, vaccinated people are getting sick. They're not dying, thank the Lord. They're not severely sick, thank God. But this ginned up fear of the unvaccinated has to come to an end. It really does. It has to come to an end. And I blame Dr. Fauci for this. I talked about this, you know, because every time he's on television, he has absolutely, he has no business commenting on the things that he comments on. It's okay to celebrate Halloween. Who asked you? Who asked you? It's okay to celebrate Halloween. Who asked you? It's time to pull these people off the television. To put Dr. Fauci in his office and let life go forward. Let it go forward. Get a threshold. Meet the threshold. Move forward. None of this draconian, you're going to lose your job. You know, you don't get unemployment. You know, you're going to suffer. You need to suffer. We need to stop. Australia shouldn't be the way it is. It's all ginned up by fear. Unnecessary, unbridled fear. And it's time. It's time to move forward. It's time to be normal again. It's time to stop wearing masks. It's time. It's time. It's time. People are tired now. Dr. Fauci doesn't need to be commenting on any, everything and anything. Only come out when there's something important to say. Because now he's, it's just information overload. All he does is just spew things just to be saying things. And he, he needs to just stop talking. Give people some room. Give them some air. Let them think for a minute without seeing your face and hearing your voice. It needs to end. And Dr. Fauci needs to go back to his office and be quiet. Just be quiet. Shh. No more. Okay. So, I said enough about that. Um, moving on. So, let's talk about Biden again, because it says here Biden holds office hours as Manchin takes acts to reconciliation bill. Well, Manchin, I mean, however you feel about him, and, you know, I don't believe that he is truly altruistic, not by a long shot, you know. He, he probably is a Republican in disguise. I don't know. Um, he's certainly looking out for the best interest of his coal mine. So, 
But, you know, enemy of the enemy is my friend. What What is that saying? At least for now. So, I, I know that Joe Manchin cut the clean air, the clean energy something, you know, he cut, that was cut. I know that he's dealing now with the child tax credit, that that has to be capped at $60,000. Um, and there has to be a strong work requirement, which kind of confuses me because um, don't you have to file taxes in order to get the child tax credit? I mean, are they just giving child tax credits to people who don't pay taxes or who don't file for taxes? I don't know. Anyhow. President Joe Biden is calling in factions of primarily House members to the White House today. The progressives are at 2 p.m., followed by the moderates a couple hours later. Senator Kristen Sinema, Democrat of Arizona, will reportedly have one on one earlier on Tuesday. Biden will likely have to hold some hands as Senator Joe Manchin takes a hatchet to major programs in his reconciliation package. Manchin has all but killed the clean electricity program performance program, once the crux of Democrats' climate ambitions. That, in turn, has rekindled talks of a carbon tax to take place to take his place, but Manchin appeared to indicate Tuesday that he is opposed to that, too. He's reportedly demanding a cap of $60,000 in family income to receive a child tax credit alongside work requirements, dramatically reducing the number of families who will be eligible. For a while, the big question has, was whether Democrats would prefer fewer big programs or more programs on shorter timelines. From today's vantage point, it doesn't seem that Manchin is giving them much to say in the matter. Senator John Tester, Democrat from Montana, I believe this is, told reporters that President Biden also floated a top line of $1.9 to $2.2 trillion to moderates, just like he did with progressives earlier today. I think he's done a lot that the, the, in the last 10 days. I just wasn't aware of it, Tester said. And so... I think we're getting to a point where we can we can move pretty well. Yeah, but it's not the bill that you came in with. I mean, you know, the clean air, wasn't that the, 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 yeah, that's the crux of your bill. The child tax credit expanding that, that's the crux of your bill. Coming out of the meeting with Senator Manchin, Bernie Sanders uh, independent from Vermont, declined to re- give reporters an update on their conversation, but said they had a good discussion after weeks of butting heads on the reconciliation package. Although he declined to give a timeline on the final reconciliation bill, Sanders made clear that wants that he wants to get it done as soon as possible. Well, I think, as I've said before, I think this thing has dragged on for a very long time and the American people want it to be resolved. Well, not really. We don't care. What we want is you to do something about this inflation. <laughs> um, while meeting with progressives earlier today, President Biden reportedly told them what they what likely won't make the cut in the reconciliation package and meant efforts to slim down its price tag. According to CNN, Biden said the tuition-free community college is getting axed from the package. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. Free college. Free community college is getting axed from the package. The child tax credit will likely only be means tested and extended only for a year, falling short of the congressional Democrats' push to make it permanent. Spending for home health care will likely be less than $250 billion Democrats wanted $400 billion, and climate provisions are still up for debate. Well, however, the White House is looking at community college scholarships as well as Medicare expansion. Additionally, Universal Pre-K and Affordable Care Act funding are still on the table. Although Democrats had discussed allocating $300 billion for climate provisions, it's clear what the final number will be. 
zero. <laughs> that's not in the article. That's me. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, and I, like I said, Manchin is in, entirely altruistic. He has his own uh, coal mine, and he is all about fossil fuels. You know, he represents these uh, fossil fuel holding people, no matter where you stand on the issue. That is the case. Speaking after progressives met with President Joe Biden and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, Representative Pamela Jayapal said, or Jayapal, said that Biden once again floated the top line of 1.9 to 2.2 trillion again today. Look, it's not the number that we want, but I think we have consistently tried to make it as high as possible. But at the end of the day, the idea we can do these programs and create multiple programs and create and actually get them going so that they deliver transformational benefits to people is what we're focused on. Yeah, but 2022 is around the corner. They know 2022 is around the corner. 2024 isn't that far behind it. Now, let's be clear. This is clearly political. Joe Biden needs this. He needs this desperately. Like, this is it for him. He has no backup plan. There is no scene two. When 2022 rolls in, and that's, uh, where, where are we now? We're at the end of October. So 2022 is rolling in. He's got to get this thing rolling. If he doesn't get this thing rolling, he's going to be lame ducked. So, JPL said that the carbon tax nor nor means testing were discussed and said that progressives are trying to get paid family and medical leave in the bill. She added that details on the climate provisions haven't been outlined yet. Senator Debbie Stanbenow, Democrat of Michigan, told reporters after a long Democratic caucus lunch that leaders hope to have a framework on the reconciliation package by the end of the week. Stabenow said it's a big lift, but there's a lot of energy and positive goodwill around the caucus, which included a very constructive conversation with Senator Manchin during lunch. Stabenow declined to get into specifics of what was discussed with Manchin. It's a very big gap. It contributed, I think, something like 40% of the emissions reductions. So that's what we're working on. Senator Tina Smith, Democrat of Minnesota, the crafter of the CEPP, told reporters. Tax credits are powerful, but they by themselves don't do enough. Of a carbon tax, she said, is still in the mix, but comes back to the question of what can get 50 votes. And they are... Really, 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 really going to need this bill if they hope to have any kind of victory in 2022, which I really don't see. But, you know, we don't know the future. I don't know the future. We don't know the future. Um, but I just want to fly in the face of a, another narrative with these 10 million jobs and all these businesses who are desperately seeking to um, hire people. Because um, I, I heard some stories too. People who put in a lot of applications and, and you, know, you know, 50, 60 applications and didn't hear from anyone because the employees, all these businesses who are supposed to be so desperate to hire aren't even returning calls. You know, they're not even returning calls. They're not even, you know, they're ghosting the employees. And uh, so, you know, a worker in Florida applied to 60 entry-level jobs in September and got one interview. So what's going on with this? Businesses, and the main points, businesses across the U.S. say they are struggling to find employees, especially for hourly work. Joey Holtz decided to test their claims, submitting two applications a day in September. Holtz got one interview, and his summary of the experiment went viral on multiple platforms. So this is a story about a man who did an experiment, um, which, again, 
prove what, you know, may have been suspected. I know I suspected it. I don't know if you have suspected that, you know, this so-called 10 million jobs and nobody to fill them narrative was um, akin to bullshit. So let's read about this great experiment. Joey Holtz recalled first hearing complaints about a labor shortage last year when he called to donate convalescent plasma at a clinic near Fort Myers, Florida. The guy went on his rant about how he can't find help and he can't keep anybody in his medical facility because they all quit over the stimulus checks. If you quit your job, you don't qualify for stimulus checks, Holtz said it, Holtz told Insider. And I'm like, your medical professionals quit over $1,200 checks? That's weird. Over the next several months, he watched as a growing chorus of businesses said they couldn't find anyone to hire because the governments of the government's stimulus money. It was so ubiquitous that he joined a No One Wants to Work Facebook group where users made memes deriding frustrated employers. That's funny. I have to go join that. He said it. he found it hard to believe that government money was keeping people out of the labor force, especially when the, the ended, when the end of expanded federal employment benefits did not seem to trigger a surge in employment. The expanded benefits ended in September, but the 26 states ended, it them, ended them early in June and July. If this extra money that everyone's supposedly living off stopped in June and it's now September. Obviously, that's not what's stopping them, he said. Workers have said companies struggling to hire aren't offering competitive pay and benefits. So Holtz, a former food service worker and charter boat crewman, decided to run an experiment. On September 1st, he sent job applications to a pair of restaurants that had been particularly public about their staffing challenges. Then he widened the test and spent the remainder of the month applying to jobs, mostly at employers vocal about lack of workers, and tracking his journey in a spreadsheet. Two weeks and 28 applications later, he had just nine email responses, one follow-up, one follow-up phone call, and one interview with a construction company that advertised a full-time job focused on site cleanup paying $10 an hour. That's pretty low. But Holt said the construction company instead tried to offer Florida's minimum wage of eight sixty-five an hour to start, even though the wage was scheduled to increase to ten dollars an hour on September thirtieth. He added that it wanted he, that it wanted full-time availability while scheduling only part-time until Holt's gained seniority. Holt said he wasn't applying for any roles he didn't qualify for. Some jobs wanted a high school diploma, he said. Some wanted retail experience, he added. Most of them either said willing to train or minimum experience, and none of them were over $12 an hour. He said, I didn't apply for anything that required a degree. I didn't apply for anything that said must have six months experience in this thing. Holtz isn't alone. Others have also spoken about out about their troubles finding work, despite that seemingly tight labor market. In a Facebook post on September 29th, which went viral on Twitter and Reddit as well, Holt said, 58 applications says y'all aren't desperate for workers. You just miss your slaves. My opinion is that this is a very familiar story to many, he adds. By the end of September, Holtz has spent out 60 applications, received 16 email responses, and four follow-up phone calls, and a solitary interview. He shared a pie chart about uh, showing his results. And Holtz acknowledged that his results may not be representative of the, labor, the larger labor challenges in the country, since his search was local and targeted the most vocal critics of stimulus spending. He added that despite the claims of some businesses struggling to hire, his boss had no staffing issues during the pandemic. Nobody leaves those positions because he, he takes care of his people, Holt said, referring to his boss. And that leads me into um, a YouTuber called Louis Rossman. 
and um, he has a business, and he was talking about how, and you should check him out. He's, he does some pretty good, he has some pretty good content there. But he was talking about how when, at the beginning of the pandemic, when, you know, they were saying non-essential workers had to, you know, you had to lay off your non-essential workers and, uh, you know, get rid of them or whatever, uh, lay them off, you know, close businesses, all that kind of thing. He kept his workers on. He took care of his workers. He kept paying them. He said, if we're all going to go down, we're all going to go down for, you know, together. And he took care of his workers. He paid them, whether there was work, whether there wasn't work. He didn't abandon his employees because he said they were not non-essential to him. They were very essential to him. They weren't disposable to him. They were value. And he felt that if they had to go out, you know, and lose their jobs or whatever, that he couldn't just pick them up like cogs and go get somebody else to replace them. And he didn't do that. So he kept them on and he paid them despite what he was going through. Now, I know everybody can't do what he did. You know, I understand that. But the point is that he didn't just throw away his employees and then turn around and expect them to just pick up and come back to where things were. And um, that goes a long way with people. That goes a long way with loyalty. You know, I'm loyal to a person or a business who takes care of their employees, who pays well, who respects me. I'm loyal to you. I will work extra. I will put in an extra. Even though I don't feel like it, I will do it because you know what? You've been good to me. But to sit here, these hypocritical businesses, you know, I think I, I did a podcast It's going to be released um, later this week. Um, but it was about it was about uh, Subway and they had a sign in the window and the sign in the window was nobody wants to work. And so the customer who was curious asked the manager, you know, how much are you paying an hour? And the manager answers, well, it depends on your age and your experience. And he had a whole list of factors. And so the customer said, well, I get experience. Oh, and then he said, he added, it's an easy job. So the customer said, you know, he understands that, okay, experience, you, you want somebody who at least understands what the job entails. He understood that. But why? age and if it's an easy job why don't you just pay the people so this great big resignation you know and this confusion among uh elitists and 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 the the uh establishment to try to understand you know why people aren't returning to these jobs and you know I don't know if inflation is created. It looks like it is, maybe to force people back into the labor market. But, you know, I don't know where to stand on that. I'm I'm not going down that rabbit hole. But you understand now, and I've been talking about this, that people simply don't want to return to where things were. And the normancy is longed for is not the normalcy that businesses are longing for. It's the long the longing of normalcy for home, family, and life. It's not to go back and be a wage slave, you know, work first and then somewhere along the line, your relationships, and then somewhere along the line, your family, and then somewhere along the line, all this other stuff. No. There's a fundamental change going on here in the United States among the workers. And it's not just a, something that can be cured, you know. It's something deep and spiritual 
maybe existential. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't know. Maybe I am. But I do see it, uh, and I have been talking about it, and it's there. It's palpable. Something deeper is going on here. Deeper than what the experts want us to believe. Anyways, I have been blathering on for a while now, and I thank you if you have been with me this long and you have heard anything that I said. I hope that, you know, you enjoy my content. If you do, please subscribe to uh, my podcast. Um, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. I make it pretty easy. It's all the Black Eye Podcast. I spell I-Y-E. And um, check out my Patreon page. There will be some uploads this weekend. New new material. Stuff that I don't put on the podcast. And don't forget to leave a voice message um, at anchor.fm, Michelle High Bailey, forward slash, forward slash, message. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. It doesn't matter what you think or what you believe. If you agree with me, if you don't agree with me, uh, I treat all messages the same. Um, And I look forward to putting some of your messages on a future podcast. Anyways. Thank you for your support. I appreciate it. You go out there and have a great day. Be blessed. Bye-bye.